Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm a good to be not. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. Uh, today is April 26, 2021, and this is episode 56, Managing Your Personal Information. Each week, we review and discuss the productivity and technology news of the week. And so today, we're going to be talking about the iPad Pro, and that'll come during our featured story this week. But first... We're going to be talking about managing your personal information. And of course, uh, for those of you who are not old enough to remember PDAs, personal digital assistants, they were like smartphones, but dumber. And uh, <laughs> they used to manage all of our basic information. We, we got these devices and they had phone contacts, calendars, notes, and tasks. They had a little calculator built into them usually. And today we have so much more data that we're managing. And I'm curious, Augusto, do you have a philosophy around managing your personal data or simply, how do you approach managing personal information? You know, I am for the time where those dumb PDAs, you know, where even I am older enough to remember a thing called Franklin Planners and Franklin Stores in every other mall where you go and buy the paper, the paper in things and you put them inside of that. So... That's how I learned to manage my data. You know, you had, as you said, the contacts, the calendars, and the notes and the task, and that's pretty much what it could do. And But it allows you to really save that information. You know, I also was when somebody Facebook came and said, we are going to introduce an iPod, a phone, and an internet tablet. An iPhone, a phone, and an internet tablet, but there is no three devices. There is one. And that was the introduction of the iPhone. And that was when the big device at the time was a BlackBerry. And the BlackBerry basically was an email device. And that was pushing people to storage or their personal information that way. Older generations, and there is a really marked line, older generations still has some of those notes, a lot of that phone context, you know, and thanks God for searching indexes. You know, I remember my grandmother phone book, you know, you may ask and say, where I can find Ray? Oh, Ray, Ray. You can find them on A. A. Yes, because he do the anything, but I also, I figured it out. I will find it that way. Okay. Thanks so much for search and index. But what I've been founding is, the four principles of the PDA, context, calendar, notes, and task, is lost. You know, and actually, when you get a new device, now you're expected to download a task application and expected to download a powerful notes application, and even with the context and the task. And that gives a universe of possibilities that in many cases is more than what people have been trained and know how to do with. And what that produced is we see a lot of the more younger generations don't having any of this, okay? having the text, but don't having the information to be able to go back to the person other than that text. If that phone number gets lost, they lost basically their only point of connection with the other human being. So um, the other thing I see, sadly, more often than not, is all this personal data 
in unsecured buckets, okay, passwords in post-its or in the note app of the iPhone without any encryption or security or anything. And, well, technology now, you know, it's a lot more scary than what it was 20 years ago. And sadly, I believe we have worst, in, in many cases, worse systems to secure that data than what we have 20 years ago. Yeah, so so for me, I always think about this from the perspective of having a system-wide organization structure. And you will have heard me talk about this before if you've heard me talk about anything related to managing your data, which is to uh, decide on a structure, and then that structure should fit across your entire world. So if you manage a set of folders... For me, I use uh, something akin to life categories, basically life domains, areas of focus and accountability in GTD lingo. In essence, I have my quadrants of life and or the pie that you kind of make up of your life, the slices of the pie. And I go ahead and everything across my world then gets organized in those slices of pie. That means calendars. I create different calendars for each of those life domains. For you, it might be home and work, or it may be 13 different calendars with 13 different categories. Uh, that same structure is going to fall across to Google Drive, OneDrive, Dropbox, Evernote, Notebooks, and Stacks across the board, email folders to everywhere, right? And the point here is to be able to have this sense of uh, synchronizing of your organization across those systems so that you're able to quickly uh, both file and then filter and find things as you need them. And so that's my like number one personal information philosophy is basically getting those pieces out of pockets that are different in one place than the other. And that helps you to just be able to synchronize across when you are thinking about where do I put something and where do I go ahead and find something on the other side of it. Augusto, what are some of the most common challenges you see others experience when approaching personal information management? What are those big challenges that you see clients, you know, you're, you're coaching folks from a productivity perspective, and I'm sure that they come to you with these issues. What, what are the issues that you see them most often coming with? So there are three, three main issues. Then issue number one, the most common one, is the lack of capture. Okay, they capture the information, but the information they capture is incomplete. So they get, oh, let me call. I need to call Ray. Okay, well, let me write it down. Five 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 five. Okay, but they never put that's Ray's phone number or that's Ray's office or that. And now they come back to you and they have a five 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 number. You're like, well, who that number belongs to? I have no clue. So that's the main, the biggest problem I found. The second one that I found is the people who capture. Ray, 555, Okay, great. Which Ray is that? Hey, if you're lucky and you only have one Ray, no problem. But if you have multiples, now you're in trouble. And then because that's all that you capture, now you need to go back and try to think and remember what was the reason you needed this phone number, even if you have that contact. And then when you find the people who have those three pieces together, so the information, what the information belongs, and what you need to do with that information is where they capture. You know, interestingly enough, we were talking about the PDA and said phone, contact, calendar, notes, and task. Phone contacts, people manage well. Calendar, people manage well. Notes and task is where, as a productivity coach, I found the biggest struggle. Uh, 
because of our understanding of task, people had a lot of people stopped using them because, well, I have this long list that I'm never going to get done. Well, true, because a lot of that list is a it's, un, it's undoable. You, there are not projects. There are not steps. There is not the next action. It's just call Ray. That doesn't work. Okay. And the other thing is the notes. Does that information that may not be actionable right now, but you need to keep as a reference, or you may need to go and look or access later. And those two elements tend to be places where I found the biggest gaps. And if you have a trouble getting and collecting that information and processing that information in a certain way, forget about trying to retrieve that information, you know. And what that produced is that I have a lot of clients that overcompensate. So they send themselves via email because they think that's the best place. So they will have four, five, 10,000 emails on their inbox that really are to be archived or are to be filed somewhere instead of the inbox because now they rely on the search function. And yes, they can find some of that information, but it's not easy or really efficient. So interesting. And Mike, yeah, it's so interesting. In my experience, I deal, I toggle between helping small business entrepreneurs, both in startup and, and growth phases. And then on the other side of my world, I deal with a lot of executives who are uh, building uh, new you know, uh, departments or new programs within their own organization, or they're a part of a much larger organization and they're heading them up. And the, the leaders that I come into contact with most often than not are over complexifiers. And maybe it's just because I am one, I'm a recovering <laughs> over complexifier and, uh, I'm making that word up. But the, the idea here is that most often than not, I'm coming across these systems where there has been a complexity layered upon complexity, layered upon complexity, because these folks are smart, they're competent, and they believe that if they have more tributaries in their system, somehow that system will be able to hold more and they'll be able to do more. And frequently, that's not quite how it works. Uh, the system probably needs more foundation, meaning simpler structure across the board. And then at the top of the system, the parts that touch you, they need to see less, which means they need to be able to have bigger buckets, but the ability to filter the most important things up to the top to either trigger them basically create the stimulus or the stimuli to be able to know what to do when they need to do it and get the rest of the stuff out of the way at the same time. I would also note and kind of underscore your point about privacy and data security. Most often than not, I'm dealing with people who don't necessarily recognize the importance of of privacy and data security. I always say lean on privacy and data security over features any day. So the simpler, the better. And please have have three backups, local, uh, local external, basically something that you, you're backing up internally, and then one that's offsite, some kind of cloud or offsite backup so that you have uh, a, a resilient system. Because if your personal information uh, ultimately gets one ransomware, uh, two deleted by accident, or somehow destroyed by hacker or otherwise, you know, act of God, you need to be mindful of the fact that you need to be able to restore that information and keep productive in that process. So managing personal information is a big topic. And so we just wanted to have a brief conversation about it so that you're all kind of aware of it. And uh, I forget, it's like personal information management 
week or month or something like that. And so <laughs> uh, that's what actually brought this whole theme up uh, for this week. Uh, so with that, let's uh, switch gears and let's get into our headlines of the week. Augusto, what's our first headline this week? Well, first headline is on the war between Apple and Spotify. Apple tops Spotify with one cent more per stream. Um, really, one cent? I don't know if that's worth of, of, the, of the news on, or the fight, for that matter. But I understand that one cent in millions, you know, it's is a significant number, but but the, but the news basically on, on is that Apple is going to top Spotify with one cent on the race of trying to win more streams out of their Apple Music service. Yeah, it, it ends up being millions and millions of dollars. So it is, you know, that one cent is a big difference in the in the world of uh, in it the is. world of of licensing music. And you know, we went from one once upon a time we went from owning you know, music, we had them on physical matter to being digital and owning that those digital uh, files to then owning them in the cloud, owning them in the cloud, licensed in the cloud, and now to almost just having a license to stream that content, which is even right. less of a, of, a, of a thing. So there's still some litigation to be born out of that in terms of can I pass my streaming license on to my children? Uh, you know, you don't currently under the terms of service, most of them say no. Uh, and of course, you know, those have to be litigated in courts. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. We've gone from uh, more ownership and physical ownership over matter to less ownership over time. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how that'll all pay out. But that makes Apple and the rest of the big music tech a lot of money in that sense. All right, next up. Our next up is Best Buy now is using Apple Business Chat for support. So customers can now message Best Buy to get questions, store timing, resolve issues, and a lot more using iMessage. Uh, so through the Apple Business Chat feature, and you can go and basically are going to get a beautiful Best Buy branding. Uh, but the interesting thing is as WhatsApp is have his business version, and it's really, really strong, mostly outside of the United States, uh, Best Buy is now coming using the business uh, for iMessage for this. And as far as I know, this is the first aside of Apple who is doing this. And yet Apple can't give Android users iMessage. <laughs> they can give it to Best Buy. <laughs> but they can't give it to us. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Onward and upward. Uh, we have some Samsung news. This is a news that I'm really excited and Samsung's open their Galaxy upcycling beta. And they, what that means is bring your old Samsung phone and turn it into what is called an Internet of Things gadget. So for non-techy people, what that means is basically you can now get your old phone resurrected, repurposing into smart home gadgets. And it's not a secret that I love that. I have talked in this show about Neverware, who do this computers and allows you to install a version of Chrome OS and bring them back to life. I'm really excited about this. And I really commend Samsung for doing this. I understand there is an interest, a financial interest behind. Fine. But 
this reduced the amount of waste, incredible. This will allow to create and make fun and bring to people, you know, all those home uh, and smart home elements with all technology that don't need to go to the trash. It's, it's still good and it's still there's a lot that can be pulled out of that. So I am really excited about this and I hope others follow, including Apple, follow this news. Right. So this is available in the United States, the UK, and Korea. These are for old Galaxy devices. So these are old Samsung Galaxy devices that you can basically turn into baby monitors and other kinds of IoT devices around the house. And this helps to reduce uh, waste, e-waste or electronic waste. And so I'm all for it. Wonderful and good on, on Samsung. I hope that more OEMs really bring these types of technologies to the to the platforms uh, of choice. I mean, they're using it obviously with SmartThings Hub because they can, but I'm really hoping that this becomes more of an open protocol and opportunity and we get more of these types of upcycling technologies to be able to turn. It's not going to hurt sales for you to be able to turn an Ola Galaxy phone into, uh, into a baby monitor, right? It's really going to... Uh, increase the number of Samsung devices that stay in the home and, of course, gives Samsung more data. And we've talked about this in, in past episodes. So this can only help those people in the short term. In the long term, having an upcycle program that is open source, that's, an, that's a unified protocol, means that more and more people can access and use those old devices on their networks without having to siphon their data privacy over to these big technology companies and still get use out of devices that, you know, are just a little bit wear and tear. They may be, may be completely functionally still good, uh, but, but just are not the latest model. So I'm all, I'm all for the next few iterations of this. All right, next up in Apple News. Well, on the Apple News, we are going to talk about the AirTags. Apple, last week, we covered the Apple episode. We talked about the AirTags, and there was a news. There was a lot of questions about a comment that was made. That is, you can track this thing using iPhone or Android or other devices. And there is an article that says, well, basically, other uh, devices that has NFC can look and discover these devices. And that allows you, if you decide to participate and open, it will ping, you know, securely, where is that location of this device? So that way you lost one of your, something that you have with your AirTag and somebody find it, they will be able to let you, what is the last location of this device? And as we're talking to, into the show, that's awesome. I, I still have not found what is the use for the AirTags, therefore have not been ordered them yet. But there are things for, there are people for, well, this is fantastic, okay? I will, you know, my parents is one of those that they may get, they may get us a Christmas <laughs> an AirTag or maybe sooner, uh, know where they are with the phones and, and these things. So their keys and, and all these things. So I I really think that, the ability to find them regardless of device is something that Apple did really, really well. Yeah, this ties into the next story as well. But the important part here and a bit of errata from our episode where we did our commentary on the Apple's spring-loaded special event is I used an example of being able to find, say, an elderly family member who uh, maybe wandered off and that kind of thing. Understanding that Apple has baked into the technology quite a lot of uh, technology 
technology to be able to stop stalking and to really give strong privacy protections to people. The important part to remember here is that if someone uh, doesn't want you to track them, the the AirTag is going to block you from doing so. And so just keep that in mind that there is this privacy first perspective that Apple has really done a great job in building into the ecosystem, into the Find My ecosystem and with the AirTags. And I see a small business opportunity here uh, with having the uh, small business owner be able to say, put an AirTag in every uh, vehicle in their fleet. And that's a low cost mechanism for being able to just track, you know, these vehicles, someone steals the vehicle, something happens to the vehicle, it gets lost. You want to be able to track where a package is when a client calls. You can do those things by virtue of these AirTags. And I think you have some really strong power there. So. Yeah. And as you said, for 25 bucks or 30 bucks, you know, per vehicle, that's all cost it is super affordable for a small business. And and yeah, that's our, our next news is, you know, how Apple designed this AirTags for thinking privately, privacy first. So if you are moving and somebody put an AirTag with you, your phone will alert you that there is an AirTag following you. So you are aware that there is some device. And it's really interesting. It's not clear to me yet what happened if you don't have an iPhone. Uh, if you get that same message on an Android, I couldn't find anything that says yes or no about it. I know that if you have an iPhone, it will alert you that there is an, Air, an AirTag that is not yours moving with you. Uh, but I yeah. couldn't so, find. So you anything. actually get a you get a prompt on the screen if you come up to an NFC device. Uh, that NFC device will uh, give you a prompt on the screen and give you an alert. Yeah. So that was again. I think is. It's awesome and good from Apple to take care of that privacy really, really seriously. Uh-huh. So the next one is a news that you will talk about it. Um, and it's your Chromebook na- launcher now will give you a lot of quick answers to save you to opening many tags, many taps. I'm not a big tap guy, I, but you are. You you open taps of taps of taps of taps, and I know what? that. So. Um, how this is going to share a little bit more, how this is going to help you and and how this change everything for you or not. Yeah, I I don't know if it'll necessarily change me and how I utilize my Chromebooks. But the idea here is that you'll be able to use more of the assistance capabilities directly from the launcher. And so uh, the idea here is that you now have from the launcher the ability to basically asking the Chrome OS system, the system into the Chrome OS system to uh, questions, right? So you can ask them, you know, like uh, how much is, you know, two plus five, you know, things of that nature, you know, or converting uh, yuan to US dollars. You can do these kinds of calculations very quickly and directly from that launcher that, that basically now has the Google Assistant built into it. And so you don't have to open up tabs to now ask those basic questions. Because I have Google Assistant around me everywhere, I don't particularly lean toward my Chromebook to be able to ask those questions. I just don't need it for that reason. But I can see that if that is your primary device and now with phone, what is it called? Phone whatever the phone connecting tool is, it's uh, escaping me at the moment. Uh, I have to look it up now because it'll, it'll bother me. Uh, but uh, 
what is it called? Phone hub. Phone hub. That's what it is. Uh, my, my Chromebook popped up and I saw the icon. And so with phone hub, now you're less using your phone and the Chromebook. And so maybe you will lean into utilizing the launcher and just clicking it and asking a question to the Google assistant. Again, uh, as I did a few months ago or a few weeks ago, it was a few months ago now where we had the ability to put, uh, the assistant onto our desktop applications using Google cloud and some code that uh, a industrious individual put together and put up on GitHub. That was great. And it actually worked, Uh, but it was costing quite a bit of money, uh, you know, running the application in Google cloud and running all of those questions. And so I didn't keep it just because I don't need it. I I really don't uh, absolutely need it, but I would really like it on my desktops. So if Chrome OS can bake it in there, so can Windows and so can Mac. And I'm hoping that someone builds the technology for us to be able to utilize those pieces so that we're able to use the Google Assistant on all of our devices in that same way. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, next up. So the next is the changes that comes to Google Meet. Google Meet, and I use Google Meet. I spend more time on Google Meet than Zoom, and I still think Zoom is better. But Google Meet is trying to to catch up, and among many changes are trying to, you know, they will allow you to hide your feed. They will allow you to resize and reposition people. That is going to be cool, organized in different ways. Um, and obviously, there is going to be a lot of automated of these things, so you will not need, but you will have now, the ability to customize things, you know, new backgrounds for mobile as well as web and polls and many things. So over the next few weeks, we are going to start seeing all these things coming up um, and all these new features coming in. I think it's good. Um, This is a race where Google is very behind. I don't know why. Um, Zoom, without a doubt, it's a leading, you know, followed by teams. But Meet, for reasons that make no sense to me, it's really behind this. Well, I I think that they're struggling with Google Meet on the enterprise side, on the business side and education side, and on the consumer side, because they're trying to merge everything that was Hangouts and all of the other (laughs) myriad of video chat messaging apps they've been creating over time and really putting that into the meet environment. So I think that's probably the problem is this backend overhaul that needs to happen in creating an environment that really works for everybody. That's my guess. Uh, as you said, they're really behind here. And the biggest feature here that they've brought out is just putting the toolbar in view. I mean, hiding all of those features under the more options setting and having to like fight to find options every time something changed in the system was just aggravating. And so I'm really glad to see those features come into the fore and you seeing them clearly identified in the toolbar below your meeting and you can just go ahead and implement whatever function you're trying to do uh, from those buttons that are that are now in view. So looking forward to seeing everybody have access to them and uh Onward. So what's our next story? Are we at midway? No, we are at midway. Wonderful. All right. So with that, we have reached our halfway point. When we're back from the break, we're actually going to be talking about some really interesting surveys that have come out. Uh, We'll be doing our new tools of the week, and then we're going to be talking about the iPad Pro and what that means for your productivity. And so uh, we'll meet you after the break. 
See you then. While working in person may be normal for you, it's unlikely your coworkers are as interested in being productive as you are. Or working remotely or from home can be isolating. And there's something powerful about being with productive people, even virtually, that helps you be more engaged. If a flavor of these sounds familiar, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club is for you. Coworking Space is a virtual work community designed to help members be more effective and efficient in their work and personal lives. At its core, we provide goal tracking and host focused action sessions throughout the week for accountability and camaraderie. Visit anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to learn more. Coworking Space lives inside Personal Productivity Club, a digital community for personal productivity enthusiasts, so you can find people who use methods and tools you do too. Again, head over to anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to see how coworking space can help you be more productive. And now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, and I'm here with Augusta Pinaud for the second half of the show. Right there on the half hour. Remarkable. Uh, let's get on with the headlines, Augusto. What's our next headline this week? See, you just, you just, you just may have break our fantastic pace today. So five plus unusual places to find free reading materials, uh, for your ebooks, for your Kindle to read on your phone. And, you know, many people is familiar or should be familiar with, um, the Gutenberg project where you can find many, 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 many books that are part of the public domain. But this article bring a couple of places that are interesting. You know, you want to save as an ebook, you know, custom types, sites, you know, like Wikipedia. You can, you can go and get newsletter on the Kindle and you can send substacks, you can send email newsletter and other things to be able to read on the Kindle. And hey, that is, you know, for a device that you can use exclusive for that, it's really good. Uh, you can do Reddit to ebook among others. And what was fascinating for me is I have Instapaper, that is what I use, have that ability to grab, you know, every what came that day, archive the rest and ship it to your uh, Kindle as a as a reading material. And it is really pleasurable to get all the thing in there where, where I cannot go into rabbit trails because what happens sometimes to me reading the F the RSS reader is I read the article and say, Oh, and then I click on, Oh, and the next thing I know I have read five things that, you know, but I never read anything. So if you are looking for more content to read, this is a great place or a great article to find a couple more. Yeah. I found that I, I, I love being able to have say like I, I get, some several newspapers that come to my, you know, system. And so it's just really nice to be able to have those come directly into my Kindle and I have multiple Kindles. And so I have it come to one specific Kindle that I have, and that's my newspaper reading device. And it's just nice to be able to have it come to it. And these different options, I like this uh, newsletter to Kindle option because now I pay for several newsletters and, you know, those sovereign writers, uh, the, that is a newsletter writer, who is not a part of, say, you know, a larger Forbes, New York Times, you know, Washington Post kind of operation, uh, 
I want to get those newsletters in a place where I'm not only able to read them, but they're being archived by Amazon for me, which I kind of like having that secondary backup of those pieces. Plus I can highlight and annotate all there on the Kindle. So it's kind of a nice feature. I think for me on the newsletters, that's a big deal that I can highlight, annotate and search later on. Yeah, fantastic. All right, next up. We're going to start with the numbers and the issues. Forbes have an article titled Survey Finds. And it reminded me of that, what it was called, the, the that show. Uh, and the survey says, and they come into the window, and the name of the show for obviously escaped me. And you should know Stephen Harvey is the most recent uh, anchor for that show. Oh, the, um, oh, yeah. What is it called? Uh <laughs> Family, what's it called? Family, family something? Feud, family, feud. family Feud. There you go. So the service says that 38% of workers will quit their job. And yes, the service says that. But also the service says that an overwhelming majority of office workers said that the daily work tasks, such as sorting through the inbox of op- unopened email and navigating to Slack and distractions, you know, is the most unpleasant part of working remotely. And when I read those sentences, I say, wait, you get the distraction, same number of distractions or more when you were in the office. So it's, but regardless, let's go back to, to the statistics on, on the article, you know, um, people is struggling with the distractions. That is at the end of the day, the underline of this, okay. Remote workers, they said that 50% of remote workers spend their own money on tools to help manage their productivity, and 17% of those plan to do it in the future. That was probably, out of the whole statistics, my favorite one, because I have always paid for mine, and I have always considered that that is giving me an advantage that allows me to give better value to my what I wasn't employees worse employees when I was, you know, my own business to my clients. And I don't see why that's put in a way like, well, you know, that shouldn't be, hey, if you can do the work better, invest in a little bit, it's an investment like anything else. And if you are seeing the return on that investment, why not? Yeah, I, I think, again, this is this is a, a bit, the information itself was, was done by Wakefield Research, but on behalf of the email platform Superhuman, uh, so I'm I'm not quite sure this is this is uh, not biased data, and because you know these are these were asking fairly unique questions as related to uh, Teams and Slack, and so again I'm 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 a little bit you know skeptical about the data. But the other side to this is that we're in the midst of a global pandemic. I mean, I know that it's been going on a while and some of us are numb to it, but the reality is is the context in which we're in and the answers to these questions can't be decoupled. And, you know, we, we have this whole new group of millennials and maybe a little bit younger than millennials who are basically deciding to take time off from work and to do other things because this year has been really tough on everyone. And if they have the expendable income to do so, they're kind of taking this time to do that. So, the fact that many of them may be saying, well, yeah, I'm going to quit. It may not be because of email fatigue, which you know, it it is definitely more email today because when you're working from home or remotely working, you're obviously having to communicate more digitally. But the reality is, is that it's not just that, right? And we all need to remember, like, come back to our productivity principles, right? Which is like, you set an example 
by virtue of how you work as to how you want to be communicated with. And you need to be able to set that example and you need to be able to explicitly explain that to people that, hey, you know what? This is not how we should be sending communications. Certainly team collaboration and team communication shouldn't be happening uh, solely out of the email inbox. And having more and more of that conversation with your colleagues is gonna be able to create a more healthy and productive environment for everybody. All right, we've got some more data. Yeah, the Tech Republic had an article, data validates that the future of work looks quite different than the pre-pandemic. And data, this article, oh, enjoy it a little bit more. And it comes with a couple of things that are interesting. You know, the, the reality is that for a lot of industries, the remote work was not even a possibility on the table before all this pandemic. And the reality has shown them something else. Are we going to stay... 100% remote? No, there's no way. But this remote work proof that there is a real possibility to find different solutions, to find solutions that will fit the different personalities, that will allow different kind of people to be productive. And that is fantastic. And we, as we have said many times in the past, this is the conversation that we need to have. Not if people is going to quit because of the email, but really how can we help people to have better conversations? How can we have people to have conversations on the things that are struggling to work? You know, understand what the location means because that is really a unique proposition. You know, there is this, Phenomenon they, they quote on the article called pandemic migration. Well, it's not pandemic migration. It's the pandemic migration makes, as they call it, makes sense. Okay. You were living in New York where in, in a small apartment where you cannot do and you're doing your work from home and you have the opportunity to go in some place where the same amount of money gives you more space. Why not? And are these people going to come back? Some of them will, some of them don't. But they will not come back or come back or not come back because they left. They will come back or not come back because their priorities have changed in a year. Whoever, I want to, every one of us are different today than what we were on February 2020. Okay, we have been affected and touched and changed on different ways. Thinking that we are going to come back to that person, it's not going to happen. So the question now is, how can we embrace the future? How can we help our peers? How can we help our business and companies and employment, place of employment into this new transition so we can get whatever we gain and now make it growth even more? Yeah, I think most major companies are going to have a knee-jerk reaction when this is all over, and that's going to create some herky-jerky movements um, from hybrid work uh, and, and as well as to just going completely to a distributed workforce. We're going to have some shakeout here, and I think that's uh, just kind of the reality. That's the, that's the boots-on-the-ground reality. Uh, the, the the other side to this is that I, I really want people to be having discussions with their colleagues, with their employers, with their managers, as well as with their direct reports and having this discussion. Yes, the, the Qualtrics survey tells us that 55% of managers uh, believe that people were more productive. At the same time, there are challenges here. There are diversity, equity, and inclusion issues that we need to be dealing with. Uh, how do we have equity when we know that if 
if everybody was given a choice to remote work or not remote work, most young males would go into the office and most women would stay at home with the children. And that creates iniquity by just out the gate, right? Because we know that people who are bonding in the office, especially predominantly males, are then going to get the promotions. They're going to get the pay raises. They're going to therefore feel like we can continue this modality of building on top of old structures. And we need to be able to learn how to just have more equitable circumstances. So this creates a problem and we need to be able to, to, to cut it off at the past. We need to have these conversations now before they get more ingrained. And so I, I appreciate the studies that are being done. It really helps us understand that. But my big, I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this with everybody who listens. We need to be out there having conversations with people. You know, we are in this filter bubble where we're all like, yes, we understand. Well, now we need to go out there and have a conversation you know, with your Uncle Joe or your Aunt Jane and really have those kinds of conversations because they're not having those conversations. And if they don't understand that, we're all going to be worse off for it in the long run. And we need to be able to have a more, uh, you know, I think productive environment. That means an environment that allows us to be able to work where we need to in order to be able to have the most productive gains for everybody across society. And that means not marginalizing particular groups and I think it's going to happen if we continue down this road where we're not having these conversations. All right. The next Onto Microsoft. Thing, it is. So Microsoft is allowing, has done a lot of research into this and the end-to-end effect of the back-to-back meetings. Okay. And one of the things they're introducing now is the ability to the organization to force break between meetings. So that way you cannot go meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and people not being able to drink coffee, water, or just go to the restroom. And I was surprised by that. Pleasantly surprised. It's it's rarely that I praise Microsoft or something. Uh, But in this case, it's good that they're giving that and I hope more organizations come into the work lab and really make this mandatory where no, you cannot be in six meetings, six hours straight with no break because the problem is each meeting that happened or every hour that happened, what you make is that person less effective. What you make that person paid less attention. So the cost of that meeting is exponentially higher every hour that passed. Because that person at the end of those six hours can make a decision. It's impossible. So I was really excited to to look at this and see that Microsoft is trying to break that meeting to meeting because at the end of the day, okay, it was Outlook part of what create that meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting where you were able to be able to see, oh, people have, we have plenty of space in here. And they were the ones who, partially said that is 60 minutes standard instead of 30 minutes standard that will have been much, much better. So I'm glad that they are doing that. And I will give Microsoft Microsoft a praise this week. Yeah, I, I, I saw it and I kind of had to chuckle because Google has uh, created in the Google Calendar Labs the ability for you to have the the speedy meetings feature. So you could actually cut meetings off at five, at 55 or 10 uh, before the hour and therefore uh, not have these back-to-back meetings. And so that's a uh, half a decade ago. 
<laughs> so I'm glad to see Microsoft catching up with the times. They're catching up. They're catching up. All right, next up. Uh, Professor Carl Newport is wrote an article about the productivity funnel and how the activity selection selection goes to the organization and then take you to the execution. And uh, I'm just going to read this quote. In the most general sense, productivity is about navigating from a large constellation of possible things you could be doing to the actual execution of a much smaller things each day. At the end of the day, we all have that large constellation of possibilities. And it's for you to come and organize and find a way to organize and process them into bytes that you can do. From there to all this theory about the funnel and quoting you know, Dr. Covey and others, um, it's good. <laughs> I, I, you know, again, I, I think that the thing that, that I took away from the article was that uh, Professor Newport wants to be able to explain to people in uh, in some way, shape, or form that we need to be able to uh, how, how do I explain this? He wants to recognize that there are differentiations between what people are banding about as kind of like the cult of productivity and how managers are really bearing down on people to be more productive and what it really means for individuals to actually truly be more productive. And since he believes in this concept of deep work and, and I don't, uh, I, I think that his definition of deep work and shallow work are um, somewhat derogatory now. I, I mean, that's the way in which I see it. Um, I really don't like the terms. And uh, and so in that sense, I I want us to be able to think about his work from, from the perspective that I, I think he means um, something important in saying that when people are talking about this idea of, I forget it, what did he call it? Um, I have to look at, look into the article now. Uh Hold on a second here. Where did he call it? He called it, I think it was like activity selection or something like that. I'm looking here now to see what he wrote here. What did he put here? Oh, activity selection. So he goes, he goes, I quoting, I agree that there's an important debate to be had about how organizations and individuals implement activity selection. For example, his recent post on slow productivity, but regardless of where this debate takes us, the other levels of funnel remain important and largely orthogonal end quote. And so I, I agree with him there that there is this uh, component here, which is uh which he talks about, which is like activity selection, which is taking all that you could be doing and de deciding among those, right? What are the vital, what are the important things to be done? And then you ultimately organize and then execute. The The, the problem here is that it's a very vague funnel, uh, but I, I agree with him that we're consistently talking about this stuff up here when it comes to management, and that ends up being a problem as it relates to how things really make their way truly forward in any organization, certainly, but certainly also the case in a personal productivity system. So I kind of get those pieces. Anyway, let's uh, move our way along in headlines to our next to last headline about Zoom. 
so um, well, Zoom came with a bunch of oops. We have a certain dog giving his opinion about Zoom. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of upgrades from Vanishing Pen, Whiteboard, Auto Shapes, and other things. Again, as we were saying, Zoom is being, you know, ahead of the curve, you know, and they have been doing things, you know, the Vanishing Pen for the meetings, the video webinars. Users now can highlight text or objects in the share screen. Every little feature feels like it puts Zoom so way ahead of their competition, and all of them are trying still to catch up. And I don't know if they will. I, I think that the technology hopefully will keep getting better. I think that Zoom making these updates to be able to allow for the whiteboarding in meetings. I don't see myself doing it a lot in meetings, but I do see myself doing it on occasion and having the capability of clients now to have those features in and on their mobile devices while they're in meetings at the same time. Like the number one thing that I tell my clients is to join the meeting on both their main desktop computer and then also on a tablet so that they have the capability of being able to take notes and other kinds of things as well as share those notes on screen. And they wouldn't necessarily have to do that if they were able to really effectively whiteboard on whatever device they're on. And actually back in our prior episode with Michael Slowinski on the Apple Spring Loaded event, we talked about Split View now utilizing Zoom and uh, and a note-taking application side-by-side side and being able to take notes with, say, good notes or something else like that side-by-side side in Zoom, you then get a, a greater, richer experience by virtue of having one device and having all of those pieces together. So I see some real power here in Zoom bringing those features directly into the meeting and experience, and the whiteboard is one way to do that. I typically use the whiteboard as a mechanism to tell clients that I'll be right there. Uh, so I'll put a whiteboard up and say, hey, I've run, I've run away from my desk i'm not late i'm just i'm just i've got to go down and grab a new cup of coffee or something like that and uh, letting folks know that i'm i'm logged into the meeting and then i'm just uh you know i'll be right there um, to start and uh so i'll put those up you know five minutes before the meeting starts just so that the room is open and people can enter uh, so that's what i use the whiteboard for the most but i can see myself using it much much more when it comes to being able to ideate and to just uh clearly uh communicate an idea that needs to just be communicated visually. And you and I have had that circumstance where we're working on something together and you're like, Hey, Ray, let me just draw this for you. And it'll just be easier for you to understand. And to be able to do that directly in the meeting, as opposed to having to find some other application and sharing screens and whatnot, I think is going to be more effective for people. I also like the fact that they've increased the emoji reactions. So now you have a full panoply of emoji reactions uh, in zoom itself. Um, The meeting host can limit you. So if the meeting host doesn't want all the emojis, uh, he or she can limit you uh, to the number of uh, emojis that are available. But I do like the fact that you now have a wider expression palette. Yeah, and that brings us to our last piece of news, and is that Chrome will now allow you to link to specific text on our web page. You will be able to highlight, share screens, and use that with the links. It's exciting for, for, I, my main device is an iPad. That's not, you know, I, and so I've been able to take screenshots, highlight and forward them, you know, with the Apple Pencil for a long, long, long time. But I'm glad that this is getting a feature that is going to get 
to other people who don't have that tablet or even for me to be able to do it on on the MacBook the few times I'm working on it and being able to highlight something and send it and share it that way. So, so let me explain the feature so everybody's aware. So link to highlight means that on any web page, when you're browsing from the Google Chrome browser now, you can highlight that text. And when you, when you right click or control click, two finger click, whatever it is in the world, uh, basically pulling up the options menu will now give you a, an option to copy to, uh, copy highlight to a link. And that will create an actual URL or URI to that quotation on that page. This is a very, very powerful feature, meaning that you're not now, so say you had a, a web page that had 45 printed pages, right? It just goes on and on and on. You can now, without the publisher creating structure and anchor links that you can take down, you know, you, sometimes a, a web page will have anchor links. You click on the link and it'll drop down to a particular part of the page. You can now create those directly inside of Chrome. And that means you're just capable of much more quickly, one, I think sourcing. I, this is this is the thing that I want to see in academia and in the, the world of citation, how this is going to work. Because in years past, you know, you could take a quotation and then you would source it and say, okay, this page, which would just be a, a URL to an HTML page and date and time that you, or date that you, you took it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now citations can actually be a link to the actual quotation itself, which I think is going to be really powerful for things. So MLA and Chicago manual style and the rest of you all are going to have to update your <laughs> citation uh, requirements for students and for academics, because this is going to be really interesting to see how that comes about. But for me, I'm actually curious about this from a a small business digital marketing perspective and how this will really affect search engine optimization. uh, Also, how this will affect sharing things on social media and directing people there. So I'm really fascinated with this particular piece. Right now, you can only create these links in Chrome. And I'm not actually sure how that's going to work out when someone clicks on a link outside of Chrome. Presumably, it'll take them to the same place, just like any anywhere else. I'm not quite sure about that component, but uh, this is available to you if you're using Google Chrome just generally in the latest version. Yeah, it, it doesn't work yet on the iPad. Uh, it's not available yet for the iPad, uh, but it's available for Chrome, I think, for Chromebooks, I think. Yeah, so, so right now, I can highlight anything in Chrome and right-click and create a, a highlight to something and uh and so like i'm wondering if we can probably can't test this live right now but um but i I was going to send it to you and see if you could you could click on the link and what you saw on your ipad but we'll do that some other time but the uh but the idea is is that someone now should be able to be taken to an exact point in a document the the curious part for me is like what if i update my web page right will it take me to the same place once that link is broken by virtue of the fact that that specific highlighted portion is no longer the same so there's some things that i'm curious still about, but this is a really interesting feature, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it uh, develop over time, both in Chrome and across the other browser providers. All right, that has brought us to the end of our headlines. And of course, Augusto, that means we are on to the new tools of the week. So Augusto and I come across many personal productivity tools and services each week, as you know. And in this segment, new tools of the week, we get to bring you a tool we think you might like. And so our first tool this week is a tool called TimeFlip. Let me bring this up on screen for all of you. And so TimeFlip is basically an interactive timer. And it's really, really interesting. So in essence, uh, what you do with TimeFlip is that you have this little tiny 
you know, device, and you get to put these pre-designed stickers on the device. And based on those stickers, you can then do Pomodoros, for example. So you can do little mini, uh, you know, daytime timer-based uh, actions. And so all you're doing is placing the sticker uh, upward, right? So the, the stick, sticker that's facing directly up to the ceiling is the one that it's going to be timing for. It's powered by two AA batteries. And so it gives you kind of a, a size of the device there. So it's, it's not small in, in, in that sense. Uh, but it's not, it's not too big. You can toss it into a bag and go with it. There is an iOS and Android app associated with it, as well as web interface. So you can grab your data and utilize it, export it and run it through. If you're a data science geek, you can run it through, uh, through, you know, R or whatever and do all kinds of slicing and dicing of the data but it's a really interesting uh, device and it's super simple to use and i'm actually thinking myself of getting one i came across it recently and i thought oh this is something that i actually use i've used other timers four-sided timers that give you some items i i really like the concept of timular uh that device uh but it ends up being pretty pricey and, and uh and you know, they've done all kinds of interesting things with it, but these time flips now come in at only $70 a piece. And so you can get three for $179. And so that's a pretty good deal. You can basically buy one for yourself, you know, for home, when you go back to the office, bring one to the office, you'll have one there. These are all again, tied to the same app. And then you can give one to a spouse or a friend or a colleague, and they can use one as well, or give it to a friend as a gift. And so you have really an option here for being able to have a, a highly sophisticated timer that's available to you. And you get to dictate the context of what you're working on. And I just think that's really powerful. So I think that's, I don't know how many, is that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So uh, seven times two. So you got 14 sides to that. Tell me if I'm making a mistake there in terms of the math, but you know, you get basically 14 different contexts to be able to be working in. And one, two, three, four, five, six, it looks like 12, 12 contexts to be working in. And so, you know, that's really great for you to be able to just swap in and out. If you have multiples that you're using, you're then able to use and have more context as well. So I just, I like the idea, you know, we all need to track more data about ourselves to really fully understand how we're spending our time throughout the day. Can something like the time flip two really help you do that? I think it may. And so this may be something that you want to check out. All right, Augusto, what is your tool this week? My tool is an application called Graphic. And Graphic is a powerful vector illustration tool. It's really affordable, but it, it's I use it consistently. And, and the reason I picked that is because it's an application that I think with the new iPad Pro we're going to talk soon, it's going to be simply incredible. This is an application, it, it works on the iPad Pro, it works with a pencil, and it really allows you to do vector image. I don't, I am not an illustrator, but I get a lot of images that came from Adobe that I don't care to have, but I have bought this application, allow me to open, make comments, send it to them, and, and let them work. So you get a super light, super powerful thing that will allow you to work into the illustrations or really levels if you need or, or layers and everything else for the technical illustration or simply to open them. So if you deal with any of these files, I hear sometimes my client says, well, the problem is they send it to my phone or they send it to my iPad and I don't know how to open this. I don't want, I don't have the, 
the Adobe subscription in here. Well, this is an option. It will work on your phone. It will work on your iPad and will allow you to open any of these files. Fantastic. So graphic for iPad, and it's optimized for the iPad Pro as well as the Apple Pencil. And so that brings us to the end of our new tools this week and on to our story of the week, which is the announcement of the Apple iPad Pro with the M1 chip. Talk to us about this, Augusto. What's going on here? So that's a risk. You give me the the, the, the microphone instead of telling me you are going to mute well, just, yourself. So, <laughs> so just understand, we've already talked about this in the prior episode. So if you want yes, to please. snap back to our commentary episode on the Apple's spring-loaded special event, we had Nosby CEO Michael Slowinski who joined us, another Apple fanboy like uh, like Augusto. And it was just fun to watch them both go at it in terms of all of the various uh, new and cool uh, items that were loaded pun intended, into the Apple special event. So with that, though, we still did want to talk about the iPad Pro because it really does bring really a new, uh, it brings a new generation into the iPad iPad lineup. And there is a new sense of productivity here because it has a desktop chip, sorry, a desktop chip in an iPad. Uh, Whereas the iPad, as I understand it, the iPad prior chip, uh, is basically identical to the to the M1. There's some other things though that are in the M1 chip that will allow it to basically be a little bit more sophisticated and do some of the higher level processing that it wasn't able to do before. So I think that's the component here. But talk to me about this in terms yeah, of what the well, iPad Pro means. First, as you said, you know this is the first time that an iPad will have a full laptop and desktop processor. You know this is the same processor that the MacBook Pro has. So. It really makes the iPad Pro, you know, at par processing-wise, you know, with the MacBook. And as you said, the, the previous chip was as capable of. So it's it's not that the previous chips were incapable. Those days are far gone from where the iPad was incapable to feature-wise comparing to what the iPod, the, the MacBooks were. But that was interesting. They, they put a new high resolution called XDR liquid retina and that for the, at least for the four the 12.9 version that's not available on the 11 inch it's only available on the 12.9 but they really create an iPad that goes hand to hand with their MacBook Pro you know it has this it have actually a better screen right now it has the same processor, same memory RAM. So what I hope to of this and the reason I'm excited is I've been an iPad only for many, many years now. And I have always hear, well, but you cannot you don't have the same power of a MacBook Pro. Well now I have it. Uh so what's going to happen now? And that if you like the form factor, this is what is exciting for me. Now it's going to come to a form factor decision. Do I like the traditional laptop form factor and the mouse and the keyboard and I don't care about touchscreen? Or do I like this different form in which my computer can transform into a tablet or be a computer and have the mouse and the keyboard and everything else? And that's what they are doing. So the graphics are incredible. So, the- so I'm... Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree here on this one point, which is that so Steve Jobs when he 
launched the iPad. The iPad was supposed to be the computer for everybody else, which is that it was supposed to be the device that was supposed to be a consumer-based product that for the the non-pro, the non-super technical nerd like me, you know, like this was the device for everybody else. It was supposed to be easy and easy to use and that kind of thing. Apple has clearly diverged from that just by virtue of creating something called the iPad Pro. <laughs> Uh, so they have you clearly decided a traditional iPad, but yes. yeah, they have decided that Steve Jobs was wrong, and that Steve Jobs's notion that this was going to be a simplified device for the everyman, every person, is is dead, and, and that idea is now gone because now they have both a consumer version and then they have a professional version. Uh, beyond that, though, the real differentiator right now is whether or not the software supports the device. So you're talking one component here. I agree with you. Form factor is is a big deal. I despise the fact that my laptop does not have a touchscreen, uh, you know, on, on the Apple side, whereas with all of my other laptops, I can touch the screen. And so I operate my my phone, I operate my tablets, and I operate my laptops all the same way, except for the damn iPad. Uh, so that's a real frustration point, right? But but Apple is is making a line in the sand. Uh, and, and so I get that. I, I appreciate that. So we're never going to get a touchscreen, not never, but probably not anytime soon are we going to get a touchscreen laptop. We're just really going to have more and more advanced iPad Pros with magic keyboards. And we're going to from that point forward. Um, the, the, the issue, though, is the support of the software on those iPads, which has been l- lagging for years and years. And I'm hoping that with the M1 chip now on there, that really does provide a level of infrastructure to say to, just let's call one of them out, Adobe, to Adobe, hey, <laughs> you now have the same chip on this device as you do on the laptops. You can make these applications work on this architecture you know that you can make it work is that am i reading this right and this is where i'm going to do what we try our best not to do in this show that is uh what i think is going to go a prediction and i may splat in my face what we saw last year was apple put the m1 into the macbooks and allow for the first time to install ipad apps into the macbook that's the first time Ever. That happened with M1. What I hope, but this is again, this is a prediction that we will not know until WWDC in June, is that now Apple is going to allow the opposite. Now you have an iPad that can run. So you will, you should, I hope, be able to install that app that runs into the M1 into your iPad. No, the iPad is not going to be a MacBook. It's going to still run iPad OS, a different operating system, but you will be able to bring the app. And what I hope is that for developers, that means I can now design an app that is compatible with the M1 and it will run on those two devices. Is that the thing? I don't know. Okay. I was surprised, happily surprised when Apple allowed the iPad apps into the M1 for your MacBook Air and your MacBook Pro a year ago or even the Mac Mini. Okay. So what I'm hoping now is that what we are going to see is exactly the opposite. Hey, if I can run an iPad app in that machine, why I cannot run a MacBook app in this? The other thing that I hope this produced over time, this is not, not this year, is 
we are now going to get universal apps, real universal apps, where you can get this application and run it regardless where you are. Why I'm saying not this year? Well, because all the other chips may or may not run what the M1 requires. But eventually, what I hope we are going to see is that you will buy the app that runs regardless what is your hardware. And now you can come and decide, okay, I want a more classic Finder Mac OS look with my mouse and I don't care about touchscreen, or I will run that application on my iPad in a lighter or different system that works different, that doesn't have certain things that the MacBook have, but I will have the pencil and the touchscreen and others. And all the articles that has come since this announcement from Apple has said, we are not going to mix the two. There is not going to be. And I, and I think that's the reason is you are, they're going to allow you to run your MacBook apps into your iPad M1, but their iOS, as we know that will evolve, but it will never be macOS. Fantastic. I think, I think I agree with you and the writing's on the wall. And so with that, we have some announcements. Uh, Augusto, do you want to run through some of these announcements that we yeah. have? Today, iPad, iOS and iPad OS 14.5 was released. There is a bunch of security things, and there is a couple of inter- really interesting features uh, that you should see. One is, for the first time, you will be able to change um, Siri's voice. I hope I get Jarvis. I don't know yet. I haven't been able to play with it. Uh, but the but the other one that is interesting is if you have an Apple Watch um, Series 3 or up and your iPhone is Series X or up, now when you have the mask, you will the, the, the phone will say, oh, there is a mask. Let me use the watch to authenticate and get you in. That's great. Uh, especially if you are forced to use a more heavy password than three digits. Um, they also, this week, Wednesday, April 28th, Samsung has an event, the Galaxy Unpack 2021. And on Thursday 29, we will be doing another special event, dis- discussing the show with Art Gilwicks. So come. Um, It'll be early morning Eastern time. So for those of you who may be watching from Europe or otherwise, sorry for the folks who are in Australia. It's going to be very, very late your time, but you might be able to still watch it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. For us, for California people, it's an unfriendly four in the morning, but sorry. Um, the next thing is uh, the, the, there is an, an article uh, for, with a new book called Remote. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot the name of the book. Um, there is an article from... Uh, MIT Management Sloan School talking the four tools to help managers connect with remote teams, and the article's good and talks about a new book that called Remote Inc. Remote Inc. Thank you very by much by Robert Posen, yeah, and and uh, and Alexandra Samuel. So the 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 book offer ways for managers to really communicate better and encourage productivity with their remote users. Um. Also, we have a lifetime deal for mind mapping software, uh, thanks to uh, AppSumo. Um, I did grab it, by the way, Zen Mind Map, and you have all probably heard me talk about mind42.com, and I also have a lifetime 
subscription to that as well. But uh, I decided to grab Zen Mind Map because it looks interesting. We'll see what happens with the application. It still seems fairly rudimentary, but I'm hoping that they actually build upon it over time. So, yeah. And well, those are our announcements. There are more news that we couldn't cover today, but they will be on the show notes they, uh, for you to go and get there. And Wonderful. All right, Augusto, we've done it. We've covered the productivity and technology news again this week. Thank you. It's my pleasure, always. That is Augusto Pinal from Productivity Voice, our productivity coach with the most. And uh, and onward to some closing remarks before we close out. Uh, please let us know if there's a story we missed. We'll put, our, like I said, our as Augusto said, our other stories will be showing up in the show notes. But if we did miss a story, even after reviewing that list, let us know. You can go ahead over to anythingbutidle.com, click on contact and let us know. Or you can go to Twitter at anythingbutidle and let us know by tweeting at us or DMing us. We'll be happy to uh, see if we can include it in a future week or add it as comments to our existing episode. If you have a question or comment generally about Anything But Idle, you can feel free to head over to anythingbutidle.com to the episode page or click on contact and contact us. While you're on Anything But Idle on the episode page, so like Anything But Idle episode 56 is anythingbutidle.com forward slash 056, you'll find our show notes. Those will have links to all the stories we discussed, tools of the week, the uh, extra stories that we didn't cover, and text transcripts. Uh, These are machine generated, but they should be good enough. Uh, You can click on the read more link. That'll expand it so you can read and watch or listen to it along with the episode. Or you can click on the download link and that'll go ahead and download a PDF for you to be able to take offline, you can go ahead and and access that on your tablet and read along and listen along at the same time. If this is your first time watching the live stream, feel free to click the subscribe icon. Uh, That'll go ahead and give you a notification when we go live weekly. Make sure you click the little bell icon and let them know that you want to be able to be notified when we do go live. If you're listening to the podcast show, that means you're listening asynchronously. And so you can go ahead and subscribe to that as well. You might see it as subscribe or follow in Apple Podcasts. You're much more likely to want it to be subscribed, which will, will download not only follow the podcast, but also download the new episodes when they come out each week. So feel free to watch the uh, follow the instructions for being able to do that at anythingbutidle.com forward slash either follow or subscribe. I forget which one I created for it now. I think it's anythingbutidle.com forward slash follow. And so uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you've enjoyed spending time watching or listening to us, feel free to click the thumbs up icon or leave a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. That really helps to let them know that we're doing what you want us to be doing. And that helps us to also grow our personal productivity listening community and watching community. And so thank you for doing that. Feel free to join us over in Personal Productivity Club. That is our digital community. And so you can do that by going to www.personalproductivity.club. We have a channel dedicated to anything but idle, and you can go ahead and post news stories and let us know about things that are upcoming, as well as commenting on episodes as well. And so we'll see you over there. With that, see you all next time on Anything But Idle. Here's to your productive life.